When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. And I'm just uh, spotting a new story that's just breaking and that is that Nicola Sturgeon is to resign as Scotland's First Minister. She's been in that position for more than eight years. The Scottish National Party leader is expected to make the announcement at what has been described as a hastily arranged news conference in Edinburgh. Not clear exactly yet when she leave office and she became First Minister in November of 2014 and of course she took over at the time that was the, following the independence uh, referendum and she has become uh, Scotland's longest stir- serving first uh, minister so that's Nicola Sturgeon to announcing her resignation if more breaks on that story while we're on air this morning we'll bring it to you all of the papers today are uh, covering uh, the fact that every single cabinet minister will be jetting abroad this year for what the government is calling its biggest ever St Patrick's Day trade mission now unlike previous uh, years when one or more ministers usually maybe a senior minister and maybe a couple of junior ministers would remain at home, you know, keep the show on the road uh, kind of thing and they'd stay around for the festive period and they'd appear at various local St. Patrick's Day parades and festivities. But no, not this year. All senior ministers flying abroad uh, to celebrate our National Day. And a statement was announced yesterday. Uh, to, to, to announce who was going where and they're saying that the government will be celebrating a hundred years of Ireland in the world. This year's programme sees the widest yet engagement by Ireland with ministers reaching out to partner governments and Irish communities on every single continent. Now on the numbers 36 representatives of the state will bring Ireland's message to 74 cities and they'll do it in 44 countries. The government says St. Patrick's Day offers an unmatched opportunity to promote Ireland abroad. It's an important part of the government's global Ireland strategy and seeks to promote Ireland as an outstanding location to live to visit, to work, to invest in, to trade in or to study in. So do you want the list of the 36 representatives, the 74 cities and the 44 countries? I'll have to take a deep breath on this. You might want to sit down and maybe have a cup of coffee as we go through the list. Topping the list obviously is Leo Varadkar and he's going to Washington. Michal Martin will go to New York and Boston. Eamon Ryan will go to Singapore, Hong Kong, Beijing and Shanghai. 
uh, Michael McGrath goes to Chicago and Toronto, while Pascal Donoghue, uh, he's staying in Europe. He will be in Frankfurt, Cologne and Berlin. Simon Coveney travelling one of the furthest. He's going down under. He will be in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Canberra and in Perth. Norma Foley is going stateside to Philadelphia. Catherine Martin is going to Los Angeles and San Diego, while Dara O'Brien will visit Atlanta and Savannah. Are you still with me? Charlie McConnellogue is going to Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch in New Zealand. Rodrigo Gorman will be in Delhi and Mumbai and in Dhaka, while Stephen Donnelly will be flying the flag in Canada. Simon Harris, he goes to San Francisco and Vancouver. Hildegard Nocton is going to Miami and to Mexico. Peter Burke will go to Italy. He will also pay a visit to the Vatican, while Sean Fleming will visit Brazil. Patrick O'Donovan is going to Thailand and Indonesia. Oshin Smith goes to Belgium and the Netherlands. And Josefa Madigan is going to the UAE and to Qatar. The list goes on. Niall Collins goes to Malaysia and the Philippines. Jack Chambers will be jetting to Japan, while Senator Pippa Hackett, she goes to Kenya and to Tanzania. Martin Hayden is going to Korea. And Rabbit is going to Johannesburg, Pretoria and Cape Town. Niall Richmond will be in Spain and Portugal. Joe O'Brien is going to Poland. And Kieran O'Donnell has a busy itinerary. He will be going to Croatia, Slovenia, Austria, Slovakia, the Czech and... Uh, oh, no, sorry, Kieran O'Donnell is going to Croatia and Slovenia. Malcolm Noonan is going to Austria, Slovakia, Czech Republic and Romania. Dara Kaleri goes to Paris, Strasbourg and Lyon. Thomas Byrne will be in Austin, Dallas and in Texas. And Jennifer Carol McNeil, she'll be in Edinburgh, Cardiff and Liverpool. James Brown is going to Cyprus and Jordan. Sean O'Farrell will go to the Lebanon. Jerry Buttermer goes to Sierra Leone and Liberia. And finally, Rossa Fanning. Who's Rossa Fanning? I hear you cry. He's the Attorney General who normally travels, actually, with the Taoiseach to uh, Washington. But that's not happening this time. He's going on his own and he is going to Argentina and to Chile. So there you go. 36 representatives, 74 cities and 44 counties. Somebody says, ah, Patricia, I'm going to take Helen McEntee is staying at home, isn't she? She's out on maternity leave. So obviously she's not included as one of the senior government ministers because she's out on mat leave at at the uh, moment. Now, ministers, when they are abroad, they will acknowledge a number of important milestones which occur this year. Obviously, this is the centenary of Ireland joining the League of Nations. It's also the 50th anniversary of our accession to what was then the EEC. And of course, obviously, that it's the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. So all of that will be um, will be celebrated and ministers will be connecting with Irish communities overseas and very much emphasising the importance of the diaspora and building further relationships with key political leaders, with business leaders, decision makers, influencers and uh, stakeholders. And of course, they get the chance to celebrate Ireland's contemporary and traditional arts, culture and uh, heritage. And the big one this year is to promote Ireland as a great place to live a great place to visit, to work, to invest in, uh, to trade with and to study. But every, every single year when this list comes out of the international, the annual international jet 
setting. It always causes division. Some will straight away see it as a waste of taxpayers' money, but others will see it that this is a fantastic opportunity to sell Ireland Inc. And it's an opportunity that other countries don't get uh, because we're, we're unique in that we get the opportunity worldwide because worldwide people celebrate St. Patrick's Day and of course got a lot to do with the fact that the Irish diaspora has travelled to so many countries I suppose. So your thoughts uh, welcomed. Are you wishing all uh, 36 of our representatives, are you wishing them bon voyage and a safe and a happy trip or are you telling them all to stay at home? I did say that every single year when the government announced who's going where on St. Patrick's Day, it always causes division and consternation and more people give out about it, I think, than actually agree with what they are doing. Let me give you a sample of some of the texts and calls uh, coming in. Patricia, now think about the pollution and the carbon emissions that will be caused by all of these jets flying to all of these far-flying uh, countries they will pollute the atmosphere any chance they could get a one-way ticket and stay there uh, says this listener Barry is saying the same are they all on one-way uh, tickets sending these I'm not using that word sending these people on uh, foreign trips on St Patrick's Day is an absolute disgrace it's another just another perk of the job that's from a Boherbui a listener a number of people picking up on Eamon Ryan who is going to Singapore Hong Kong Beijing and Shanghai uh, Hi, uh, Patricia. Is Eamon Ryan going to cycle uh, there? Hi, Patricia. At a time when we have serious wars, earthquakes, homelessness, refugees and all other problems, it really shows how out of touch our politicians are. That money that would be spent on these trips could be put to better use than indulgent jolly boys outings. What do we have a Department of Trade and Enterprise for? Are they not doing the work that all of the politicians are now saying that they are going to be doing. Hi Patricia, isn't our government a disgrace? Cost of living crisis, housing crisis and every minister off on a junket for St. Patrick's Day. Eamon Ryan preaches about the environment that we all must buy electric cars. Call a third of the national herd. Has he started cycling to China yet? And Dennis wants to point out that Mary Butler isn't going. Uh, sorry, maybe I when I said all ministers, all cabinet ministers are going for the first time. Now there's a slew. Mary Butler is a junior minister there's a slew of junior ministers going but it's the first time ever that every single cabinet minister uh, is uh, going on these trips Patricia I this is from John I hear you say the TDs are promoting Ireland all over the world promoting it as a great place to live and work should we have no houses for people to live in ourselves half the world seems to be here already more in line for the TDs to stay at home and start out our housing uh, crisis hi Patricia it's the same every single year people give out but they still go anyway. I'm disgusted with the minister, says this texter is going abroad for St. Patrick's Day. What a shower and so many people who, by the way, are working, are hungry. How can they tell people Ireland is a good place to live and visit when the working Irish can't even afford to get a house? It is uh, a joke. Um, Hi, Patricia, don't we have the same bother every year? They say politicians will go away. Don't mention them till they come back. Good luck to them all by uh, the way. Margaret says, this is a great opportunity to promote Ireland. I'm happy once Michal and Michael and Danny Healy Ray are here. They will take care of us, says Margaret, while the rest are away. And just a couple of calls in. John and Mallow, again, picking up on Eamon Ryan. Is he going to walk on water to get him to China? He's not just going to China. Well, he's, he's visiting various parts of China. Shanghai, Beijing, 
Hong Kong and Singapore. Uh, is he going to walk on water to get there? He is going out and preaching to all of us about driving our cars, uh, yet he'll have to fly to China. Will he be taking the fumes out of the plane, the planes? And um, Philomena in Glanmire says, why I understand people's frustrations this morning, uh, Patricia, I do think it's good that Ireland has representation right across the world on our national holidays. Uh, national holiday. How many other countries would love for our national holiday to be recognised across the globe and to be recognised by world leaders and then they have the opportunity at the same time to meet those leaders. We should embrace it but I do feel we seem to have an an awful lot seem to be going this year. Yeah, I mean the, the total number is 36 representatives, 74 cities and 44 uh, counties. I'd have to check back on previous years but I think it is it is certainly the biggest uh, programme the biggest ever mission of ministers and representatives we've ever sent before. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie Now the extent of course of control, sexual pressure and violence in young people's relationship has been very much laid bare in the results of an online relationship quiz which is published yesterday by Women's Aid. To discuss the results I'm joined by Mary Hayes. Now Mary is the project leader with Women's Aid campaign Two Into You. Uh, good morning to you Mary. Good morning. And you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, I have to say, uh, reading down through the results of this online quiz, some of the figures are shockingly high. Can you just give us a breakdown of some of the results? Yeah, so our relationship quiz um, is on our website, 2intu.ie, which was um, launched back in November of 2022. And since the quiz was launched, um, almost 20,000 people have taken that relationship quiz. So the quiz really is a... Um, kind of a barometer to look at if your relationship is healthy or unhealthy. So um, some of the figures that were coming through are really worrying, I suppose. So, for example, almost 16,000 people said that their partner has threatened to share intimate images or videos um, of them without their consent when they fight. Um, Another uh, figure is around physical abuse. So Almost 13,000 said that their partner has hit them once and that they're afraid they'll do it again. Um, we also saw uh, 12,500 saying that their partner demands to look through their phone and knows all their passwords to social media, as well as the uh, 10,500 who said that they've been pressured um, or coerced into doing something sexual that they didn't want to. God, they're scary. It's just, they're just scarily high uh, figures. And maybe do some young people find it hard to spot what is actual abuse and at times can almost see it as normal or he's just really caring about me and that's why he wants to check up on my phone to see because he's looking after me almost. Absolutely. So, you know, with these results from the quiz, we're really seeing this kind of normalization of very manipulative and coercive behaviors. And so one thing you mentioned there would be, you know, that kind of bombarding of love and attention and affection, which we commonly see around Valentine's Day, uh, which can actually be a very common red flag for abuse called love bombing. So what that is, is when the person you're going out with will kind of bombard you with gifts and attention and affection which, you know, can be really exciting, um, especially at the start of a relationship. Uh, But if it's your first relationship and you have nothing to compare it to, it can be difficult to know where that line has been crossed. So 
the line is crossed when you feel like you can't say no or you feel under pressure to reciprocate, you know, strong feelings, to move faster in the relationship than you're comfortable with, to, you know, consent to things like um, sexual acts that maybe you're not uh, comfortable with or ready for. So really it's that, that pressure, um, you know, to give that person control in the relationship. And I suppose when we think about things like, you know, relationship abuse, domestic violence, uh, domestic abuse, we think about it happening to, say, older people, so somebody who's maybe living with an abusive partner or maybe they're married or have children. But we know from our frontline services and um, the research that we've done in Women's Aid that actually abuse against uh, young women in particular is very, very common. Um, so it can happen in your first relationship and even casual relationships. So it's that one in five uh, young women aged 18 to 25 have been subjected to abuse by a partner or ex. And does like a lot of this, does it feed into that message that men are entitled to have control over the, their, their woman? Absolutely, you know, and we're seeing reflections of this in the media, unfortunately, recently with, you know, the rise of Andrew Tate and the influence that he's had on, on young men, kind of telling them that, you know, you, you have an entitlement to power and control in your life, in all aspects of your life. So, of course, that's going to feed into your intimate relationships. And we would see that in the different ways that young women experience abuse. You know, emotional abuse is actually the most common form of abuse for young women. So of that one in five who'd been subjected to abuse, um, nine in ten had experienced emotional abuse. And that could be incredibly draining and, you know, feel like there's no escape from it. And it can include things like being put down, being humiliated, being criticised. And really, for a young woman at the start of her life when she's starting to make her way in the world it can be really really confusing really distressing for the person who is supposed to love you to you know um treat you in a in a coercive way in a manipulative way to tell you that it's all in your head and yeah. what's happening to, to you is all your fault which in fact it is not at all and that threat that you mentioned at the start to share intimate photographs that that's now illegal isn't it yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it's not just illegal to share intimate images or videos without someone's consent. The threat of sharing them is also a crime under Coco's law. Um, and that's one thing we're trying to do with our Two into You campaign for young people is to raise awareness of the laws that are there to protect them. Um, so really what that is, you know, that threat, that is coercion. It says, if you break up with me, if you don't get back with me, I'm going to share these images. And really what that is, is it's image-based sexual abuse. So we really need to take these things, these things seriously um, and, you know, inform young people about the difference between healthy and unhealthy behaviours, what's acceptable in a relationship, what's unacceptable. And very distressing, Mary, to hear the 83% of respondents who said their partner had hit them once and they were afraid it would happen again. From, from your experience, Mary, in, in, at Women's Aid, if it happens once, will it happen again? I mean, look, every case is different. You know, no woman's experience is going to be the same. So I couldn't say that, yes, it will definitely happen again. I think more importantly, it's about that threat that's there. So it's that fear that that young woman woman lives under, you know, that this has happened before and there's that constant fear that it could happen again. And even if it hasn't happened in the first place, you know, that 
threat and that fear can be um, really present in the relationship. So say, for example, you know, they have um, a disagreement with their partner and their partner starts to, you know, um, hit the wall or slam doors around the house or maybe they'll speed in the car, things like that, or get into fights on nights out. Really what that does is it tells their partner that, you know, they're capable of violence, that, um, you know, if they don't stay in line and keep the peace, that this could potentially happen to them. So that can be really frightening. Yes, uh, a listener is wondering, how, how are we aware of a movie called Alice Darling? Are you aware of this movie that's out at the moment? I, Yes, I am aware of it. I haven't seen it yeah. though, but it is it's great to see, you know, these representations um I suppose in media because we learn so much um in popular culture about relationships. Like take for example, you know, rom coms. We constantly see the guy chasing down the girl, you know, sending her a thousand flowers until she gives in. And really what that is is it's saying, you know, um, while it could be lovely to get flowers if you know, you feel that huge amount of pressure that you can't say no, um, or you feel obliged to, you know, go out with them. That's really them saying, I don't respect your decisions. I don't respect your boundaries. Yeah. And and on that movie, by the way, I haven't seen it either, but I, I was reading a review of it and it, it deals with it's a 30 year old successful uh, businesswoman and she's trapped in a, in a course of con, uh, controlling relationship. But it's an intervention by her friends. But I thought one of the lines in it was when the friends try to do the intervention, she says, but he never hurts me. And um, that mm. she she absolutely wasn't seeing the course of control, but seemingly since the movie has uh, it's it's on various streaming channels, both the the actor Anna Kendrick and the filmmaker have been inundated with direct messages on their Instagram from people who are sharing their own stories. So there, mm. there's a lot of this. It's it's very much exactly what you're showing in your yeah. quiz. There's a lot of it out there. And as well, you know, I think people jump to um, the fact that there needs to be some sort of bruise or mark there to prove, you know, that you've met this threshold of abuse that, you know, well, it's not that bad. You know, they've never hit me or, um, you know, they've never um, pressured me to do things sexually. I don't want to. But really, you know, any form of abuse, be it emotional, um, sexual, online, financial, that is you know, it's unacceptable, it's not normal, it's not okay. Um, and I suppose, you know, the, the role of friends as well can be really important because that can be a great sounding board for somebody who's going through this. Because often when you're in an abusive relationship, you mightn't recognize it yourself um, as abuse. You know, you can't see the wood for the trees um, because the behavior has become so normalized. You know, somebody who's um, in an abusive relationship, it doesn't just happen overnight. It's a pattern of behaviours that happen over time that become the norm. And then you almost lower your expectations and you don't expect um, your partner to treat you really in, in an equal and a respectful way. And the friends will see that and that's why it's important for friends to call it out. Exactly. And to just check in with them and remind them that they're there. Because when you're in an abusive relationship, it can feel incredibly isolating and like you have no one to turn to. So for you to reach out to a friend that you're worried about could be a huge lifeline for them. And, you know, I always say to people, you don't have to be 100% sure to know that they're experiencing abuse to check in with them. If something feels wrong at all, it's worth, um, you know, texting them, saying hi, checking in, asking them, how's the relationship? You know, how is it when you guys have a fight? 
um, but mainly to listen in a non-judgmental way. But I suppose it can feel like an intimidating conversation, but we have um, a specific guide on how to help a friend at our Two Into You website. So that's the word twointou.ie. And that has kind of helpful, you know, phrases, questions, ways to approach the conversation and ways to do it safely, both for your friends and well for done. yourself. Well done. And do we really now need to work with both young men and women about what is acceptable behaviour in relationships? Absolutely. You know, we need to be doing this at a young age. This can be done in, you know, in primary schools, talking about what's healthy, what's unhealthy, because really at the end of the day, it's about saying that we all deserve to, you know, have happy and healthy relationships. Um, and we need to see that mirrored in our, you know, leaders, be it that teachers, parents, you know, um, a captain in a sports club, we really all need to do what we can to say that, you know, gender-based violence is not acceptable and we want our young people to have happy, intimate relationships and to know what that looks like. So, you know, hopefully with the um, the review of the SPHE and RSE curricula, we'll see some positive changes there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and just finally, I spotted on the front page of the Examiner today, they're running with the story of uh, domestic violence victims, some having to wait up to four months to go to court to get uh, safety orders. Now, it does seem to be a bit of a postcard uh, lottery here here in Cork. It's good to hear that applications uh, are at the next sitting, even though that can be the following week. In Dublin, you can get a hearing on the same day. But like they cite places like uh, Trim in County Meath, uh, somebody see, trying to seek a uh, protection order can wait 16 weeks, according to Safe yeah. Ireland. And that can be, you know, incredibly distressing for a woman in a very difficult um, situation. And I suppose I want anyone listening, you know, not to be deterred by what they're seeing. Um, and um, please do continue to reach out to the support um, because, you know, Women's Aid and your local services in Cork will be there for you to support you through the process. Um, we do have, a, you know, a way to go, I suppose, in terms of resources. But, you know, we have um, a solid strategy there and we're really hoping that it'll be implemented um, sooner sooner rather than later. OK, Two Into You is the campaign online and uh, Women's Aid can be contacted at uh, 1-800-341-900. That's it. That's and it. we also have an instant messaging service. Um, it's free and confidential and that's at Okay, listen, pleasure speaking with you, Mary. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. And of course, the West Cork Women Events Against Violence uh, group there on 1800 203 136. Uh, Yana in North Cork is available on 022 53915. And the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork available on 1800 496 496. On this week's Upfront TV programme with uh, Katie Hannan, the lack of prenuptial agreements in this country is actually st- stopping some farmers from getting married and that's leading to some very lonely people. That was one of the topics up for discussion. Well, to discuss this topic further, I'm joined by Independent North Cork Councillor uh, Frank Roach. Good morning to you, Frank. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Frank, when somebody marries into a farm and sadly things don't, uh, doesn't work out, what happens then? Can the farm be split? Well, you see, um, <clears throat> can. No, the first thing, I don't condemn marriage. I think marriage is very important. And a good, happy marriage is the greatest support any farmer can ever have. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with farming in this country is like most farmers, three, four, five, or even six or seven generations, building up the assets. And land is 
totally irreplaceable. And the problem with the farming community is that the farm goes beyond the monetary value. It's in their DNAs. And if that farm is gone, they can never get it back. And have you heard and seen people who have lost or are under threat of losing a farm that may have been in that their family for generations? Oh, I regularly, I have, in particular men ringing me, and men even in their 60s and they're crying, literally crying on the phone because of this. But I mean, if a woman has worked and it is, I'm, I'm assuming it's mainly men uh, because we have a tradition in this country of the majority of family farms are passed down to the eldest born son. So it's mainly men, even though you can have a woman who owns the farm as well. But yes. let's for the sake of the interview, let's let's see it that the man is the farmer who owned who owned the land. But if if the, if someone got married and you're saying somebody in their 60s married for many, many years, I mean, the wife has probably worked all of her married life supporting her husband on the farm. And then, unfortunately, things can go wrong. But surely she has to be looked after. Oh, so there's, there's no question about that. But you see, the problem with here, you have four people involved. You have the husband and the wife and you have the two lawyers and the legal system. And there's, there's a thing in the farming community that uh, you go up to the altar and when you're coming down, you're coming down with half a fathom. Now, that is technically a right. But the problem is that the lawyers and the legal system are in your taking the, the half. And the misfortunate wife, who, as you have just said, has worked in the farm for 20 years, is, is only getting what's left. And the problem we have with most people, that when their marriages break up, our farms have to be sold, is actually the legal cost is the biggest problem. Okay, but that, that's yeah, okay. not not in all not in all cases. Probably in some very complicated um, uh, cases. But do you believe that pre uh, a prenuptial agreement? Do you believe we should have them on the statute books, and would they work? I think we should. Now I'd be putting it on a pro rata um, system, right? That if somebody was married five years, ten years, twenty years up the the, the time, the the, the um, on the, the number of years that they're married, because like. If you have somebody that's married into their six months and she's going with half a farm, that's very unfair. Whereas if you have a woman that has worked 20 or 30 years and have raised a family, uh, in those situations, those people are entitled. Yeah, no, no two are going to be the same. But did you see the, did you see the upfront programme? I um, see, yes. Yeah. Did you see the solicitor on the panel who is a farmer I herself? Was, I was... I was actually speaking to her office yesterday. She she claims that it doesn't happen. She claims that if the farm remains in the farmer's name and that the wife, her name doesn't go on the title deeds, she's only entitled to half the family home, not half the farm. Well, I'll tell you know, I spoke to that, uh, that office yesterday, right? Yeah. And what they said to me was that they don't do family law and that they only do leasing, um, transfers, um, single farm payments. And to me, I think that girl should have actually researched what she was saying far more. Before right. she oh, I, yeah, and she, well, I suppose she did say as well she hasn't come across cases, whereas you're saying you have come across cases, you have seen people. <coughs> well, I also spoke to Nigel Collins' office yesterday. Okay, because he's and saying, yeah, he didn't, see, he hasn't had cases. Well, I, I, I confirmed to Nigel Collins' office yesterday. I have four people. I'm elected in the Pomoia Municipal Area. Yeah, and I have four people in Nile Collins within ten, fifteen miles of Nile Collins' home and office that are that are very upset at the moment because of 
these farmers' situation. And their uh, fear, fear of losing their farm. Uh, can we also therefore, Frank, have situations where you have very unhappy couples remaining together because of the issue of the family farm? Well, we probably have. We probably have. Now, the other area in me caught an awful lot because I'm sure you're aware that I, I'd be pushing a lot for inheritance issues. And I definitely on a weekly basis sit at the kitchen table in some farm, in, in some county even, not necessarily Cork, right? And always when I speak to the older men in particular, the big fear is when the son gets married or the daughter gets married, that they lose the farm. And this is one of the problems why an awful lot of land is not being transferred to the younger generation because in fairness to the older generation, they have themselves to care for and they have to think of themselves. And they, they, they kind of think that if the young girl comes in here <coughs> uh, and she decides to, to leave, am I, not am I still going to lose the farm, but am I going to lose my security as well? Yeah, and that is an added issue if the elderly parents are, are still alive and, of course, will still be living on the family farm. And the, the other problem as well is in, in where it has happened, I've been speaking to sisters of the, the, and brothers of the, the, the farmer who are very upset because they got very little out of the farm and this, this person that came into the farm uh, went off with, with half the assets. Or went, went off, they, they feel they went off with all the assets. OK, so, so it's some kind of a pre-nup arrangement, but it would have to be, it has to be legal because at the moment you can have a, a prenup, but there's no basis in law in Ireland. It, that's right, yeah. it's, it's not strictly binding. That's All right, right, okay. All right, Frank, listen, you've opened up the discussion. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, North Cork Independent uh, Councillor Frank Roach. And do we need prenuptial agreements? Do we need them on the statute books uh, here in this country? You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A reminder that the Premier League Live is back on C103.ie with Trevor Welsh happening this Saturday from midday, powered by Talk Sport. Now, this weekend, we'll be bringing you live coverage of Aston Villa versus Arsenal at 12.30 on Saturday. That's followed by Nottingham Forest versus Man City, three o'clock. And then the final match that Trevor will cover is Newcastle United taking on Liverpool at 5.30. That's the Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. Listen Saturday on the C103 app or you can go to c103.ie John Paul continues to take your calls at 0818 103 103 and getting some commentary in uh, reacting to my piece with Councillor Frank Roach uh, talking about the what happens when a farm family when a marriage breaks down uh, in, in a farm family and the problems and the upset that it can cause and the grief that it can cause and what happens if the farm has to be sold particularly if it was a farm that maybe was in a generation uh, for quite some time and you know it's led Frank uh, to suggest that maybe we need to seriously in this country look at prenuptial agreements we don't have prenuptial agreements in this country well that's not to say that couples don't sign prenuptial agreements they do but there's no basis in law in um, Ireland now seemingly what does happen in a lot of court 
cases, if there is a judicial separation or a, or a divorce and there has been some kind of a prenuptial agreement uh, signed and everybody, you know, there's proper provision made for everybody, it is likely that that can be in some way used by the judge and judges will look at uh, prenuptial agreements, but there's no basis in law for them. And Frank reckons that that needs to change. But somebody says, how unromantic to ask anyone to sign a prenuptial agreement. People shouldn't be getting married if they're thinking like that. At the end of the day, says this caller, the wife, if this is if a wife marries into a farm family, ends up looking after the children in the house and maybe even working outside of the home as well. If, God forbid, that marriage breaks down, she deserves to be looked after. Somebody else says, what would happen if the couple that have children living on the farm are not married and everything is in the man's name as the deceased parents willed the farm to him? Well, what you're looking at there is the rights of a a cohabiting couple. There are rights. Certainly, they don't give you the same rights you'd have if you were married or in a legal partnership but if you're living together there is certainly cohabitation uh, rights there but the children of the farm that would be the children of the farmer there they certainly would have inheritance rights if uh, God forbid uh, something happened to the farmer in that particular case Dennis O'Callaghan is with the ICSA he heard our discussion and he's contacted us good morning to you Dennis good morning uh, I'm very good thank you I think you've got a good insight into unfortunately why some marriages on farms are breaking down? Well, look, I suppose, just to continue where you said there, look, relationships are, are formed, right? And usually they work out well, but as in, in some cases, you know, relationships break down. But on, on farms, there, there is another contributing factor that we have found, and maybe a number of them really, because I'm with ICSA for the last 10 years, and I suppose in the last five or six years, I was amazed. I mean, you hear these stories, right? You know, We've all heard the story of a, of a farm breaking down, the farm is being sold and all that. But I've actually sat in the kitchen with people uh, and it's frightening to see what's going on in the sense that you have a farmer who goes out, he meets somebody, um, uh, they have a relationship, they get married, right, and they have kids. And in some instances, there's an elderly couple who move into another house, maybe on the farm or whatever, right? And, you know, relationships break down, but what I have... I start, you know, I've been making notes over the years, right? And one thing that I have found is that if there's any kind of, you know, in today's world, we have a lot of young farmers who have really expended, spent a lot of money on the farms. Uh, unfortunately, they don't have the help. And I spoke to you about this a few number of weeks ago. That the help is very hard to be got at the moment for people to work on farms, right? So the young guy has a lot of money spent on the farm. He's spending more and more time on the farm, if I could put it to you that way, right? Mm-hmm. Now... We also have, I suppose, in the last number of years, we have, and I like there was always uh, where we had professional ladies married into farmers, but I suppose a lot of women out today are professionals in their own right. They're, you know, they're teachers, they're nurses, uh, they could be doctors, they could be anything. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they, so, they, they work off farm. And, and let's be honest, let's be honest, there's many, there's many farmers who rely on the, on the money that the wife brings in from the off farm job. It's, it's an awful thing to say, and as a farmer, but an awful lot of, of a lot of their salaries go into the farm. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, it's, like, it's like a lot of people who tell me they have a part-time job with a farm, and I know what that is myself, right? But in actual fact, your income is going into the farm, and you don't realise it's actually keeping the whole thing going. But getting back to our story, um, what I found is that right. So your man is spending more time in the farm; it's putting a lot of pressure on the home life. We'll say, right? Mm. She has her holidays, she's her bank holidays, and so forth. He's coming in the door at 10 o'clock at night, going out at 6 o'clock in the morning. Now, so the relationship starts to break down. Now, 
when the relationship breaks down, he's in the yard, he's saying, he's facing home, he's looking at his watch, Jesus, I'm late, I've missed the birthday party, I've missed something, right? Then he's getting it at home. Another thing that's happening is that your man, because of the stress he's under, the paperwork that's piling up, and this is something that came up with our AGM last week, um, whereby what happens then is because his paperwork is, is behind, he's the department on his back, right, the Department of Agriculture, and he might have spot checks and so forth. Now, you know, they have the powers to go into farms and close them down, especially when dairy farms, and, and uh, you know, they put a lot of pressure on. So that's more pressure on him. He may have, you know, because of the workload and so forth, he might be late with payments in the bank. He's getting a phone call from the bank, right? And unfortunately, Patricia, this is the very, very sad part of it, that I actually have, uh, I've gone to uh, a few funerals in the last number of years, and, and that's where it ended up. That you, the, the, the man himself... Uh, in most of the cases, just couldn't take the pressure oh anymore. Didn't, oh wasn't God. able to turn to anyone to tell him the yeah. pressure he was under. Because yeah. we have this thing out there at the moment that there's a big image thing going on at the moment as well, Patricia. There really is. And people don't want to... No, in ICSA, we've actually formed a group. Why? Because 12 months ago at our AGM, we were all ready to go home about half six, quarter to seven in the evening, and people started to talk. And 40 people in that room told their stories. We were there until nearly half ten that night. And out of that, this group that we have forum now, uh, which will be advertised fairly soon, uh, has been put in place for exactly this reason, that these people in these situations can pick up a phone and ring and somebody can put them in contact with who they need to be in contact with. Because, they're, they feel, you see, when they get to that point, they feel that they are responsible for the whole thing. No, they're not really, like, but they feel they are, and they feel that they've left everyone down and... Do you know what I'm saying? The I do. I, I, yeah, I think, yeah. I think you're, you're painting a picture of what is happening in, to so, unfortunately, so many farm families at the moment. Yes, the stress, exactly. the stress and the pressure. And if you put stress and pressure into a household, of course, something's going to go wrong and marriages will suffer. If there's any kind of cracks at all in the relationship, you pile on any additional pressure. And of course, what happens? The marriage, the marriage breaks down. But this notion of the farm, the farmer having to leave land that has been in their family for generations, does that actually happen? Well, it does happen, Patricia, because we're, we actually, we're actually working with somebody at the moment um, whose farm is about to be sold. It's getting to that point. Now, on that basis, we've asked, uh, we've asked a few things. We've asked for the department to find another way to engage with farmers, especially if they're being made aware there is problems on the farm, right, um, insofar as in the home. Um, um, the other side of it is looked at, unfortunately, I'm not pointing a finger here, by the way, because, look, situations arise, people have to be brought in, there are certain people brought in to sort them out, right? But our legal, our legal system is, unfortunately, another contributing factor in it. I'm not pointing the finger at them. I'm not saying that they're wrong. It's the way we've always done business in this country. But unfortunately, um, when, you, when, you, you know, when you sell a farm, right, or put a farm up for sale, um, you're actually, it's like ripping the heart out of the man that was born on that farm. Mm. Or the, or because he, a farm, I had, I had a very good saying a number of years ago, right? Uh, people say about a farmer, well, the farm is worth maybe two million, one million, whatever, right? But as one farmer said to me one time, a farm is, is passed over to be passed on. Yeah. And that's the way we were bred and that's the way we think. And it's, we the, way it's, all, our son. it's the way it's always been it's in, the way it's in, always in been. this country. So when yeah. this happens... It's in their DNA. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and, you, you, and you have the additional problem then, Dennis, that if you have an elderly farm couple who decide it's time for them to retire and they want to pass the farm down to the son and to his wife who are working away on the farm and then things build up and things go wrong within the marriage. There's situations, isn't there, where there's an elderly couple who were the original owners of the farm still living on the farm. But so this is it, Patricia. And unfortunately, which is the real sad part of it, is that the kids get drawn into it then. And, you know, that rips the heart out of everyone. Like, because, you know, Grandad and Nan Arden talking to yeah. the, the one of the partners, whatever it be, because we have, we have actually, as you know, we have men marrying into farms as well. Do you know, that can happen. Um, so, like, you know, it's, you know, look, it's a very sad situation all around. We're just looking at ways that maybe we could, that this could be looked at in, in another way. Uh, look, there's nothing really, you know, as one man, um, uh, there was one man down in Bandit said to me one time, do you know, when you sit in an office with somebody and you have a problem that money can sort, well, you haven't a problem. It's the day that you're sitting there that no money will fix. That's when you have a problem. So this is what I'm saying, that, you know, if, if, if there was another way of looking at this and saying, yeah, look, the house or the farm or whatever, and we started out. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, that these women marrying into farms are, enti- are not entitled. Of course they're entitled. Everyone has their rights. But maybe there's another way of doing it without doing it, um, about, with, with not doing it the way it's being done at the moment. If you know are, you, are you a fan of the prenuptial agreements well, in, um, as a I basis in law? Yeah, well, look, I, 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 going back to what you said there again, it starts yourself. Um, if you meet somebody and, you know, you have a good relationship and so forth, it's, you know, asking somebody to sign a prenup is really saying you don't trust them. Yeah, you know the most unromantic thing you could do, yeah. I, yeah I think and, and there's one other thing I'll leave you with this, is that we, we are, I've also met people, uh, young men out there, uh, who've been left farms, but because of something that happened, you see, if something happens now, in 20 years' time it could have an effect again, because I've met fellows who would say to me, um, well, my uncle was married, but the marriage broke down a number of years ago and they had to sell the farm. Uh, and it's, it's, it's actually stopping people from going out and meeting somebody. Do you know the point I'm making? Yeah, that, and actually that was one of the reasons we, we decided to, to speak with Frank because that's what we're hearing. We've yeah. got farmers who are not getting married, which is then yeah. leading to very lonely people who, yeah. you know, who might have got married, but they're, they're so fearful. Just to, before I let you go, here's an interesting one in from, from obviously a farm family as well. And so this happens when the eldest son takes over the farm. Uh, at the end of the day, it's everyone's farm and the siblings, everyone deserves the site. Some of the siblings in some families, you can have six or seven brothers and sisters, regardless of the financial investment that the said brother and his wife put in, puts into it, his own family situation and his own children. It really needs to be discussed a lot. It's causing such ill feelings and fallouts in families. So the eldest son has inherited the farm, but the siblings are looking for sites. Does that cause problems? Um, well, it goes back to what I said to myself there, that uh, a farm um, is, we'll say, you know, it's like the guy that gets the farm. A farm, you can only make so much out of a farm, and depending on what kind of a farmer you are, some guys can make more out of it than others, right? Um, and a farm is only valuable the day it's sold. Yeah. So the guy that takes on the farm usually takes on the debts usually um, helps out the siblings. Uh, but I suppose, look, to be honest, to be fair about it here, it's a conversation that every family should have because everyone's situation is different. 
Can I put it to that way? Yeah, yeah. And did you tell John Paul you know of some farmers who've had to move out of the family home and yes. end, end up what yes, you just... I, I could bring you to at least three situations. You describe minute. it as a shoebox. Well, a small if, if apartment. You talk, when you talk to these guys and, you know, you're talking to them there and they're telling you the story and you say, and where have you, are you living on the farm now? And they say, no, I'm living in a shoebox. I got a room in the town. That's what usually they refer to it as a shoebox. Because, you know, they find themselves in a small space that they go back to in the evening, which is a very lonely and sad situation that can lead to other things as well. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. People stop drinking the, the, the different yeah. things. That, um, do you know, but like, you know, it's a huge thing out there that needs to be looked at. We've asked the department as well, as I said, uh, to engage with farmers, especially in these situations. We have our own group set up within ICSA. Um, we have a very good lady, Mona, running it at the moment. Um, so if anyone does want or are in trouble out there or need to think they need to talk to somebody, please ring us because we will put you in contact with the right people. Yeah, it's to ke- keep that conversation going. Listen. Keep the conversation going. Don't shut down. Don't go into a corner. There is help out there. And don't be afraid to tell your story because, believe you me, you're only one of very many. OK, listen, I appreciate you contacting us this morning. Uh, Dennis, thank you for that. Have a good no day. Problem. Thanks for joining Thanks us. For that is. Me. Bye bye. That is Dennis O'Callaghan of the ICSA. I think really paint, painting a picture of just how difficult life can be for some farm families at the moment. And I know people will say, isn't that across all businesses? And obviously it is. And if uh, you've got a business, a farmer at the end of the day is a businessman. But if they're under so much pressure and, you know, you can understand why problems start to occur within marriages. 0818. 103 103. John Paul's taking calls. Text WhatsApps are up and running at 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. O'Keefe's Super Value in Mill Street. They have vacancies for full time and part time baker slash confectionery staff and full and part time meat counter staff. Now, ideal candidates should have some kind of experience, but full training will be provided. CVs to 392 slash Mill Street slash store at supervalue.ie. A first-year electrical apprentice and a building general operative wanted to work in the Cork area. You email properties sce at gmail.com. A caring and experienced childminder is wanted to care for a 13-month-old boy in the family home in Bantir or you could do it in the childminder's own home. Guard the vetting and references are required. Lorna is your contact at 086 395 3983. And Hamilton French, they're looking for a carpenter for a project in Cork City. Also, ground workers with experience in footpaths, concrete pipe work, etc., for a project in Carrigaline. Email CVs, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. You need to go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Morning, Pat. How are you, Patricia? I'm very well. How are you today? Very well. Is, here now again. is the sun shining in Clonakilty today? It is. Yeah. So you don't need to go away to the sun when you're living in beautiful Clonakilty. Hey, we need a break now and then. <laughs> and, a bre- <laughs> and a break to salute. you take that, would you? No problem at all, yeah. Okay, let me ask you your question for today. Wednesday's question. Madonna had a hit in 1983. What was it called? A, holiday, or B, bad hair day? Holiday. It- 
Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Well done. That means you now kind of have a boarding pass, which gets you through okay. to the draw on Friday. One step closer to a week in Salou. Who would you bring with you, Pat? Well, herself, of course. Uh, <laughs> what's, her, what's herself's name? Jennifer. Jennifer. Okay, Pat and yeah. Jennifer, we'd be writing your names on the tickets if you win on Friday. Seven nights. H10 Vintage Hotel. See me a beautiful hotel in Salou. And get the passports ready because you would need to travel on the 30th of May. No problem, Patricia. Okay. Thank you very much. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Congratulations to you. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Pat Lynch from uh, Clonakilty, our latest qualifier for this week's holiday, the C103 Summer Getaway. Three holidays in total we're giving away uh, between this week, next week and the following week. This week's holiday, though, is to Salou. We'll have another holiday to Lanzarote and the one to Mallorca. You have to listen out the summer song the summer getaway song changes every day and then we play it on each of the day parts when you hear it you'll hear it again for example this afternoon with Nick and again later on with Martina the text number remains the same in the WhatsApp 0862 103 103 for your chance to win with the C103's summer getaway this week you're winning your way to salute only on C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. A review of Ireland's rail network due to be published in the coming months is set to recommend reopening a number of regional railway lines, including some that have already been earmarked for greenways. And to discuss the need to fast track the revival of the West Cork railway line, I'm joined by Independent Doll Deputy Michael Collins. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Now, we're, what we're talking about here is the All-Ireland Strategic Rail Review. It was commissioned by governments north and south uh, in 2021. Has West Cork been looked at as part of this review? Because any draft proposals that I can find, uh, Michael, talks about disused railway line in Wexford, connecting Dublin, Rosslare and Waterford. If you look at the West, it talks about linking towns like Athenry in Galway and Clare Morris in Mayo. And then if you go north, they're talking about a, a link between Letterkenny and Derry. I can't find anything about West Cork. And that's exactly the situation uh, we find ourselves uh, in, Patricia, and that's why I've uh, written the Minister uh, for Environment and Trans- uh, Transport, uh, Eamon Ryan, 
uh, asking him uh, to have a look at the draft. In, in obviously, we, we all need to have a closer look up at, uh, at, at what's been put before us. But at this present time, it looks like West Cork isn't even being considered. And um, you know, I've been a long time caller for different motions in 2016 onwards inside the doll that at least they'd look at the you know opening up uh, rail to West Cork, even if it's only as far as Bendon. I'd even accept that at this stage. And, he, and I've said that at an early stage. I don't expect it to go back to where it was, into the bantries and into the skulls. But it's astonishing to think that this report, draft that's coming out so far is talking. And I've no, I don't begrudge anyone in Wexford or Galway or Mayo um, uh, to, to, to be looking at uh, creating new rail links from those uh, areas into Dublin. I don't begrudge that at all. But certainly, certainly, surely be to God, and, uh, the whole of us can't be excluded from this um, from this report. It, it, at this present time, looks to me as if it's a, it's, it's, it's a disaster for us. Like it's a... And do many of the old railway lines still exist in West Cork, or would it mean building from scratch? It certainly will mean uh, building some of them from uh, scratch, because obviously some of them have been taken up with greenways, uh, walks and whatever. But there's certainly some of the old railway lines still there. Um, and you know, I'm, and I, I, you know, I, I'd spoken to you about this before, but obviously we're talking about a new thing. There's a new report put before us. It's astonishing to think that in the 1800s and the 1900s up to 1960s, that we had um, rail uh, going right through Vanden, Clon, uh, Skibreen, Skull, mm-hmm. uh, even even t- uh, actually two um, uh, trains put on. If there was a, a cattle fair in Ballad of Hob, that'll tell you. The, the intelligence of the people at the time and along the line between Bandon and uh, Bandon and Dunmanway to Malik to Bantry. And in, in this day and age, in a modern era, we know are fighting to say, to try to see, can we get it as far as Bandon? Which is yeah, still, and, uh, and, very, I, very and actually that notion of building from uh, scratch is actually part of this strategic review because that rail line between Letterkenny and uh, Derry would have to be built from scratch because the tracks were taken up generations ago. So they're not saying that they wouldn't consider a railway line in an area where the track had disappeared. I don't understand why it's not being considered and looked at any, you know, uh, it, it, it makes un- absolute and incredible sense. We're talking about taking cars off the road. There's never, never been such a need for transport, obviously, in, 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 in rural communities. Our public transport uh, system hasn't moved in years. You bus will leave my own parish in Goline uh, at, at seven, half seven in the morning, and that's it. There's no other bus leaving that place. Uh, until until the bus returns at uh, five or six o'clock in the evening. The same in, in other places. We're looking at, uh, you know, only for private companies like Wilde West Cork and they're opening up areas in uh, Kinsale, the uh, Cork, or Ban- people of Ballinasig, Bill Gooley. There hasn't been proper services put in place, areas like Clannacilty to Dunlanway, no bus service, and we're forcing people into the car. And this is exactly against government policy. They're on the other hand trying to tell us we'll build footpaths big enough to carry uh, to land the airplanes so that we can prevent cars and make it more difficult for car drivers or lorry or bus drivers to travel. But at the same time, we're giving you no hope as such as to a new other options. Do you believe and there's both a social and an economic case? It, it's certainly, and it's, it should be uh, magical if you know the, the wisdom of the people who opened rail into West Cork uh, many years ago were were in government today to think that they could do the same, and that can be opened up. It's not just West Cork; there's other areas too that are uh, completely cut off uh, from rail, and it's a terrible wrong to the people there. And as I said to you, Patricia, you know, and I raised the dog yesterday about young people not able to get driving licenses. Young people are crying at the door at my clinic saying, why can't I get it? I can't. They're forced into the motorcar. They now are waiting seven, seven months for it to get a driving uh, test. It's just incredible.
in 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 our communities. It's it's as it's as far back now as it was before this green government or the previous government came into place. Can we look back in hindsight now and say that that decision uh, in the early sixties was the wrong decision to close the railway line in West Cork? A terrible, terrible, shocking decision mm. against the people of West Cork. I think, to be honest with you, uh, I, I was looking at it there some time ago, and so to speak, they were on about it, and there was a lot of disquiet and a lot of anger. I think that every man, woman, and child in West Cork should have tied themselves to the, to the rail line and not allow that happen at that time. Unfortunately, uh, the powers that be made a decision, and they didn't make it. It was a ruthless and horrific decision because it didn't just say, we'll take it up uh, out of maybe where there was weaknesses, and there was weaknesses probably in line coming into places like Skull, but certainly coming to West Cork in some way like Bandon, Clankilty, or into the Manway's other side, Real should have been to there. Yeah, to take, and to it would have been. Completely. It would have it opened up West Cork in a huge way. Open up West Cork. Okay, uh, when the, when is this All Ireland Strategic Rail Review that looks like it's an all, an all Ireland Strategic Rail Review that didn't include West Cork and we don't know why? Uh, when is that? Is that expected to be published in the coming months? That's what I'm uh, hearing. Okay. That it will be published in the coming months. But we'll 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 be walking from here until then to see will the government have a, a mind change? Will they uh, include uh, areas in West Cork that at least need to be looked at? Yeah. You know, if you're if you're not in the uh, in there at the very beginning, when are you going to put a case uh, get for? It? You're not going to get in there. But yeah, case John, that's what John, we're trying to do. John in Clonakilty says, Fish, I've said it on your show a lot of times. They started ripping up our railways in West Cork when other countries were starting to build them. It was the biggest disaster ever to hit uh, West Cork. Okay, Uh, keep us informed on this one and just while we have you on the line, uh, Michael, just on a different uh, topic, I noticed uh, yet again another call for a call of uh, livestock. This time, I believe it's an internal EPA uh, report. Do livestock farmers feel like they're constantly being picked on? Well, I tell you, first and foremost, uh, Patricia, there's there's a a lot of farmers uh, confused at this present time because government are saying, Eamon Ryan is saying there'll be a call in cattle. Uh, Leo Radcliffe says, oh no, they won't. And and, and Michal Martin, they won't. But there certainly will be. And the actions uh, by this government are going to, uh, are causing widespread disruption to the ordinary everyday farmer. I spoke to a farmer in West Cork who wanted to invest and had got the clearance from the bank to invest prior to Christmas. And this is one of many uh, to invest on his on his farm and his and his farm practices. And he asked me, are we going to, can I just increase with what I have? I don't want to be buying any more land. I don't want this. I don't want that because I said I have enough problems without going down more. But I, I am prepared to invest and the banks are prepared to do this with me. And I told them, I, I gave him what I felt was the honest viewpoint coming from this government, even though I shouldn't be saying anything. You know, Michael, in the end of the conversation, I won't be um, going in it. And, and this is, I got, I got a message today from a businessman who's selling machinery. He said, he said there's a widespread walk away from the purchase of machinery by farmers because they don't know what's going on. You have a government that seems finger-pointing at farmers every day of the week, by the Green Party in particular, and Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil standing by, instead of standing by the farmer. So, like, this is another report, yes, but it certainly is linked along the lines of what the government have been saying all along. And it looks like it's, it's further damage to the agriculture sector, while other countries like India and Brazil can do what they like, when they like, and how they like it. And just, and what astounds me is, I mean, when you look at the world at the moment, it's more food we need, not less. And like we yeah. have a really good product here in this country. Exactly. 
believe, Patricia, we have the best, the, almost the best in the world, I'd say, if not the best in the world. And we should be further promoting this and further making sure that our farmers can work and work with, with rule and regulation, yes, of course. And they're quite willing to do that. Farmers are buying uh, um, excess for, for slurry spreading, spending loads of money to try and be uh, environmentally uh, clever or, or, or you know, uh, trying to work within the system. But it's getting beyond them at this stage. And it's a terrible, unfair attack continuously by Eamon Ryan and, and members of government on Irish agriculture. They need to be supported. They need to be grown. I, I met with the ambassador from New Zealand recently and, and the head of the Tagusk in New Zealand. And I said to the lady, she had she owned 550 acres. And I told her I don't begrudge her one acre that she owns. But remember, the farmers of Ireland, no, none of the big guys, very few more own 550 acres. We have to work within a smaller amount of land. And there has to be an understanding that we have the best, we're doing the best of what we do. Stop attacking it. Start supporting it. Start building on it. Not going, taking us a step back by culling our cattle, meaning some farmers have to buy more and buy more ground and more ground to try and see can they grow. These farmers have sons, daughters that want to take over the farms, want to work in it, but it's a very difficult place to be at at this time. Yeah, and you know, farmers, they're, they're working all the time to be more sustainable. They're actively working to improve biodiversity. But when I saw this report, it, I almost got the sense like it never seems to be enough. No, it, it's one kick after another kick. We've been calling inside here in the last couple of days for the government to stand up here and say, we are not taking that report on board. That's going into the bin. We're getting this, you know, it depends on what minister you have in front of you. It depends on what, is it the Tishka, the Tanish, or is it going to be the Minister of Environment? The Environment is quite happy, no matter what. I'd say they want us all to be idle farmers, uh, you know, what's it, uh, uh, armchair farmers. That's what they're looking at. That's not what Irish agriculture is about. Irish agriculture has delivered in Ireland, has delivered to the world. And I'm afraid, Patricia, the winner in all this is, of course, and there's no fear of that, is going to be Brazil and India and other places like that that don't have the quality beef that we have, but they'll be selling it in our stock. And then uh, we'll, because, be, our we'll shelf, be importing. It's a little bit yeah. like, we all, I always go back to it, it's like sugar. We got rid of the sugar yeah. and now we have to import it in. Let me go back to the railway lines for a moment. Councillor Declan Hurley says, Patricia, unfortunately the government washed uh, their hands of West Cork um, ever having a railway line back again when they physically removed the rail tracks as soon as they closed the railway line. They promised us better roads back then but alas, 60 years on, we didn't get the better roads either. It was a shameful sin that the government of the day robbed West Cork of its beautiful rail network. Thank you, and that's Councillor uh, Declan Hurley. And b- listen, before I let you go, uh, Michael, can I say thanks to you because we, Eileen, one of our listeners was on a few weeks ago, bless her heart, she got up to an appointment in uh, CUH and then when she got there, it turned out the, it was a wrong appointment. It wasn't for her. It was on the wrong day but she was talking to us about she's actually blind in one eye and she was talking to us about the fact that she had a cataract in the other eye and I had said to her would she not go to Belfast to get her cataract done and unfortunately she got it into her head because somebody told her there's no follow up if you go and get that appointment done and we were thinking oh god no that's not true so I know John Paul said that off air we put her in contact with uh, your office and I believe she's booked to go on your bus she is she's Eileen um, Charlene from the memory. Look, in fairness, I was listening to the interview uh, that morning uh, back in West Cork doing uh, clinics and I was listening to your radio show and I was astounded to hear that a hospital that had left to go blind in one eye was saying, hold off, uh, we'll get you done at some stage. No, I didn't mind that they said we'd do you in three weeks or four weeks, that's fair enough. But they were saying they gave her no date because I asked her, have you taken no on the way that they were. So they were going to obviously step back and let her go blind on another eye on this myth that, uh, you know, oh, you're not going to get... There's no follow And that's that's uh, not true. Sure it's not. It's not, you see, because number one, you, you, it's, it's, 
the follow like the procedures is very simplified. It's twenty as you often heard me talk about short twenty five minute procedure, one hour recovery. And then what they do is the surgeon rings the, the patient next day, goes through everything with the patient to make sure everything's alright. But it's simple, drops after that. It's yeah, very does, there is very little follow up to a cataract operation. There's very little follow up, yeah. but she's delighted she's going up. Okay, well I'm I'm thrilled for her. I'm thrilled for her because the the, the poor I'm, woman she she desperately needs that eye done. Yeah, and Patricia, there's three people going up that morning that are blind in one eye. Believe it or not, uh, going to there's a gentleman from Oscarry, lady from Dunmanway, and a mother gentleman going up with that are blind in one eye. So sometimes people let it maybe are listening to wrongful advice and leaving go too long. Um, and you know, you can't, so you can't and, and there's no it. reversal of that, so they're getting the other eye done, is it? In, in in one case, one the person went up to get the, the blind eye done. They said they do the, the one that was fading rapidly. They've seen after that, and it's 100% better, perfect. He's going back up now to try and keep any reverse. It's very God, hard to reverse. It yeah, look, it is. It is. And that's know. why if you're left with one eye, which is the case with Eileen, it needs to be looked after. Listen, I just want to acknowledge it and say thank you. Um, uh, really thank you. All right, listen, thanks for that, um, Michael. Thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, West Cork Doll Deputy Michael Collins. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Still getting commentary in on the St. Patrick's Day mission, which is taking senior, all of the senior cabinet ministers, a number of the junior ministers, a number of senators and the attorney general. They're going from as far away from London to Singapore, everywhere in between. And they're going out to promote Ireland. And in particular, they're promoting 100 years of Ireland on all of these trips overseas to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Anthony in Knocknaheeny said, wouldn't we all love if our employer sent us off to Bali for two weeks, all expenses paid. Of course we would. We'd all jump on the plane and off we would go. But, says Anthony, I can see with so many people struggling at uh, the moment uh, and they, the politicians now deciding to travel around the world, it just isn't sitting well with people. Could that money and those resources be used, for example, for a single person trying to live on a HAP payment who is desperately trying to make their rent demands? I think it's a disgrace, says Anthony in Nocknahini. Anna is in Bandon. Fine to bring business back into this country, even though Anna says, what will happen if people decide to set up business and come to work here uh, and people decide to invest in this country? Where will their workers uh, live? Businesses already are having problems getting workers because there's simply no place for them to live, their employers to work near their workplace. And that's a particular problem in the or, or like the city areas, Dublin in particular. It's just, it's a complete nightmare. I know the teachers unions have hu- are constantly raising it that school are having problems getting teachers to work in Dublin schools and it's not that there are not teachers available nobody can afford to rent and go go to work and it is certainly in a lot of the urban areas that is a problem so yeah and I, I see the point you're making if they get all these businesses to come and say great place to invest oh by the way your workers will have no place uh, to live it'll all depend though I suppose on where they will locate the business John in Blackpool says what other country in the world has their leaders walking in the front door of the White House with a bowl of shamrock shamrock in hand and then they get to chat to the President of the United States of America. I know a lot of money is spent but sometimes says John you have to see the wood from the trees and you have to realise you have to spend money to make money. So John is one of the ones who sees the good of all of these trips. A Kerry listener says I'm very surprised to hear of the Green Ministers going abroad for St. Patrick's Day with all their talk about global warming and uh, air miles 
we're constantly seeing uh, Minister Eamon Ryan on his wonderful bike. Uh, and, and he in particular couldn't have gone further. I have neighbours that can't burn coal anymore because of green policies. And God help the poor farmers with all the proposed restrictions being put on them because of so-called emissions, which is jeopardising their livelihood, says a Kerry listener. So it's not sitting well with that listener. Hi, Patricia. I'm just wondering all the ministers' names that you called out. What was it? 36 in uh, total. Will all of them bring their partners with them when they're representing this country abroad? I don't know about uh, partners, but they certainly will have an entourage with them because somebody else is pointing out, uh, saying, Patricia, please remember that every single politician that will, will travel will have a team of at least five people with them. Is that really necessary? I don't know if it's as high as five, but they will all have private secretaries with them, press secretaries with them, and particularly the senior cabinet ministers yeah there will be more it's more than and I don't know if their partners go or not I'll see if I can check that out but I, I don't know if that happens or not and then we discussed farming issues we touched on that when we had Michael Collins on the programme and we were also talking about the inheritance uh, uh, not inheritance tax we were talking about prenuptial agreements with uh, Frank Roach and how some farm families worry about the future of their farm if a marriage breaks down. Isha says it, it is typical listening to your programme today and she starts her comment by saying I'm not farmer bashing. Um, I'm just after passing on my business to my son. That's something that's been done everywhere right throughout this country. Why are farmers constantly on about the transfer of their farm? At the end of the day, it's transferring a business onto their son. We hear about it every day of the week. It's not just a farming thing. Business people pass on their businesses to sons and daughters. Uh, farmers can never see the wood from the trees. When farmers sign over the land, it's like a death in the family. You can't take the land with you. But I think that's got something to do with the ownership of the land is different to the ownership of a business. And Isha, you're absolutely right. It is a business and it is a business transaction. But it's almost like... It's in a farmer's DNA, isn't it, to own the land and the land that their fathers and their grandfathers, maybe their great grandfathers worked on. I'm not from a farming background, so I don't quite understand it. But whenever I speak to anyone, that's very much how it comes across. It's like it's in their uh, DNA. OK, on the railway lines, oh, let me stay with farming for a moment because there was a couple of other comments in before I go to the ones on the railways. Uh, Bill in Clonakilty says, in 2013, Simon Coveney turned around and told farmers of this country that quotas were about to be abolished and that farmers could build and expand, particularly a dry milk powder market because that was going to be set up with China. But here we are 10 years later in 2023 and they're now asking people to cull their cattle. But back in 2013, they issued grants for these Schemes, electricity networks put in phase three lines to facilitate the farmers' expansion. Then they closed Borden and Mona. While now we're hearing we're importing briquettes from countries like Germany, they closed our oil terminals and now we have nothing. And don't forget, we import sugar. Guess why? We closed our sugar factory. It makes no sense at all. And that is from Bill in Clonakilty. Donald says, Patricia, listening to your programme today, Deputy Michael Collins on government and agriculture. It's unbelievable that a government that we pay their wages seem to be hellbent on crippling farmers, the very people that produce our food. Farming is responsible for hundreds of thousands of jobs in this country. And the fact that we export 
90% of the food we produce and brings in billions of euro every year into this country. Irish farmers are the most efficient in the world. The government should get behind this important I- industry because if we don't import food, it'll be done someplace else and we'll have a much higher carbon footprint and much lower quality. And then, says Donald, they'll be moaning the fact that they made that uh, decision. Mike, uh, Patricia said, Michael... Michael Collins nailed it on when he was talking about the railway lines on your programme in the last hour and you nailed it when you spoke about the sugar factory in Mallow. Mark my words says Shay, it'll be the very same with Board Nimona down the road, they'll regret the decision. The EU, the Irish government and especially the Green Party seem to have this country destroyed and not just this government but there was former governments also and this one seems to have followed their lead by ruining Ireland instead of running uh, Ireland. Uh, Shay not a fan of the current government. He feels they couldn't run a bath, much less a country. That's Shay's opinion. And Linda says, we're constantly hearing from our government ministers, particularly from the Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan. We're constantly hearing from him, telling people, get out of your cars and use public transport. Guess what, says Linda? We'd love to do that, but we don't have the public transport to use. And then when they decide to look at the railway lines on a nationwide basis, there's no mention of West Cork. We need alternatives. Bring back the railway lines. It certainly is the way to go. And I can't get over the number of people saying the railway lines were back. Uh, they certainly would use them. 0818 103 103. And there was a text in about gas prices. that I'm, Oh, yeah, I want to get to this. My apologies, because this did come in earlier, saying, hi, Patricia. They said that the gas prices have now reduced their four, by 41% and they're down to pre-Ukrainian war prices. If that be the case, why are the electricity prices and the gas prices not coming down as a result? When the war began and prices and costs went up overnight, guess what? All of our bills went up, our electricity bills and our gas bills went up. Why do they always take months to come back down again? You can't make it up. OK, if you spoke to an economist on this and they uh, they very clearly explain why the gas and electricity shoots up very, it always seems to shoot up very, very quickly. But why it's so slow to come down is to do with the fact that even though we are seeing a fall in the wholesale prices at uh, the moment, the energy companies, you know, the likes of your Electric Ireland, the likes of Board uh, Gosh, they're not buying the gas and the energy on the same day that they're selling it. It's kind of a little bit like the uh, stock market. The gas and the energy, the oil that they bought, they would have bought that months ago and they would have bought it certainly in preparation for winter. And at the time when they purchased what they're now using, the price, of course, was much higher. You add to that that we thankfully had a milder winter than was anticipated. So that means that they still have stock from when they paid the very high priced um, uh, energy. So when can we expect to see a reduction? I saw one uh, commentator saying it won't be uh, until at least the next uh, quarter. But then, of course, you add to that, you're going to have some companies keeping prices high in an attempt to try to keep their profit margin going. We all know that we have seen record profits being made by energy companies uh, during the uh, crisis and something needs to be done about that. I did see the the government uh, very serious about a windfall tax on energy uh, companies and there's talks that it could generate as much as 600 million euro and that would be an additional revenue and if they got that obviously that would be able to fund the next round of cost of living uh, measures so definitely yeah, the energy companies need to be hit with their high 
with the, the high um, profits that they've been making. But the reason why they'll say to you that the energy, why are we paying so much when it, the wholesale price has dropped? They'll say what we're using at the moment, they bought at a time when the prices were much higher. And that's always the argument that's put forward. Uh, but yet, as soon as it goes up, they can put it up immediately. 0818 103 103. John Paul is taking your calls. We are looking for gardening questions. Please text or WhatsApp gardening questions to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. The Lakela Mallow Men's Shed Group. They meet every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday between 2 and 5 p.m. So they're meeting again this afternoon. They're at the rear of Lakela Centre. New members are particularly welcome. If you have a problem with food, you are welcome to join those who found a solution to this common problem of over or under eating. You can contact Overeating Anonymous or .ie or you can call them at 086 35 Home Bingo Books for Kildallery. Home Bingo are on sale today in the community office. They're also available in the local post office and at Centre. They've got a snowball prize this week of €600. Euro. And the hilarious play The Parish will be performed by the Hubcap Theatre Company in Dunamore Community Centre next Sunday. Tickets are €15 Euro each and they're available from local shops and at the door. And it's fantastic to see drama groups back up and running and outperforming because Tully Lee's drama group, they're back after a long break. They're back with uh, Tommy Marin's play, Nobody's Talking to Me. They open in Tully Lee's Hall on Saturday night and it runs, and it's again on, on Sunday. And then the following weekend, uh, Friday the 24th and Sunday the 26th, 8 o'clock each night. And Tully Lee's drama group tell me it's not to be missed. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And before I just go into my next piece, I just want to give you this text. And I know it came in earlier, but uh, the mum has resent it again. Thank you for that. We just uh, missed out on this one earlier. It's a, it's a mum down in West Cork who says, one of my children uh, can be very sick for long periods of uh, time. My son is under a consultant at Cork University Hospital and he does have a medical card, but he's missing out big time on school because he's sick for long periods of time. The mother is saying, has anyone else a problem on waiting for appointments? Oh, God help you. You're not alone on waiting for appointments. I know... Um, la- I don't know if this is the most up to date but certainly just before Christmas the last time I was looking at hospital waiting lists in this country it was up at nearly 900,000 people were currently on waiting lists some waiting for procedures but some just simply waiting for appointments but when you dig into those uh, figures nearly 100,000 children before Christmas were on waiting lists one in four had been on a respective list for over a year and then there was about 800 Hundred children uh, or 8,000 children awaiting a diagnostic a scan at, at any of the Dublin Children's Hospital. So unfortunately, there's a huge amount of uh, children on a waiting list. And I'm assuming you're on some kind of a waiting list just to get an appointment. The only thing, and it does work and it has worked in the past, is, you know, particularly if your son is, you think is getting sicker, maybe get back onto your GP, uh, maybe see 
if your GP can expedite it in some way, maybe the GP can send on a follow on letter to the consultant. Try ringing the hospital yourself, explain the situation, because, you know, if your son is very sick and missing school, you don't want your child uh, missing school uh, either. But it's a, a dreadful situation to find yourself in that, you know, your son needs to be seen by doctors and consultants and you're sitting there at home waiting for an email or a letter to come in at the post. My heart really does go out to you. 0818103103. Now on a kind of a really good news uh, story and something actually that we covered about this time last year. It's to do with a Cork teenager who yesterday was presented with a bravery uh, medal because he saved the life of a customer in a pub where he was doing some work experience. Now, last year, 70-year-old Tom McNamara, um, uh, we'll talk about exactly what happened to Tom in a moment, but he returned yesterday to Hennessy's Bar in Mayfield where he said it was he says it was a gift to have the knowledge of CPR. Now it was Ross Hennessy. Now Ross did speak to us uh, last uh, year but yesterday he spoke with our news reporter Mairead uh, Tuig who sent us on uh, a piece uh, from this handing over of this medal, this bravery medal to uh, Ross. And Mairead also spoke with Tom, the gentleman whose life was saved and Ger- you'll also hear from Jero D who is Community Engagement Manager with the National Ambulance Service. But Mairead started by asking Ross to recap on what happened about this time last year? The 8th of February last year. Um, I was, it was a Tuesday, I think, and uh, I was on work experience working in the bar, and um, Tom was here, and um, I think it was about half three, four o'clock, and Tom, um, Tom fell off his chair, and we knew there was something wrong straight away. He wasn't responding on the floor. And um, I rang the ambulance, and um, they, they came fairly quickly. They just told me what to do on, while they were en route to the pub. And uh, they came within 10, 12 minutes and they, they took over then, thankfully, and got him back back um, conscious. And was that your first experience of ever giving first aid? Um, yeah, it was, yeah. And so what was the what was the feeling like, I suppose, in that um, those moments? Just, just nerves. I'm just hoping that he'd be okay and hoping that we'd done enough to, to get him through until the ambulance was um, arriving. And it being Valentine's Day today, the message is about learning CPR and knowing CPR. Is this the message that you're sharing with your, I suppose, your friends and your family? Yeah, it's it's very very useful to to have in your locker if if anything goes wrong anywhere or anytime you're kind of if you're trained in it, you're able to perform and keep people alive. And had you done CPR training before this, or was it just through um, the dialogue with the ambulance? No, the I, no, just through the dialogue with the ambulance. I think it was um, um, in Dublin the the response was, and they just kept me kept me going on the phone um, until the ambulance arrived. And Jerry, I suppose from an ambulance perspective, what's it like when, I suppose, you're the call taker and you're trying to advise someone in this life-saving technique? Yeah, we're very fortunate, I suppose, with the control room system that we have, that we are able to give advice to people like Ross over the phone. Um, the ambulance service might have, you know, state-of-the-art equipment, state-of-the-art vehicles um, and highly trained staff, but unless someone is doing the basics when we get there, often we're kind of at a loss. So thankfully in this case, Ross, you know, he started the chain of survival. So he recognised that Tom was in cardiac arrest. He started CPR and rang the ambulance service at the same time. And then they talked him through exactly what to do until the arrival of the first ambulance crew. Um, and, it's, you know, we always say it takes a system to save a life. And that system worked absolutely brilliantly on the day from the very basic stuff of what Ross was able to do keep Tom alive until the ambulance crew came. They did their bit, and then we had advanced life support also on scene. 
um, and we were supported on the day as well by the Cork City Fire Brigade first responders and the Cork City first responders. So I suppose if a cardiac arrest happens in Cork, it's a safe place for it to happen because there's so much, um, I suppose, commitment to responding to these calls. Um, and look, Tom is proof. Tom is proof of that today that we're, we're actually here a year later and um, he's able to, to meet everybody who uh, contributed to saving his life on the day. And Tom, you're, you're back here in, in Hennessy. Is this your first yeah. time back yeah. since the 8th of February? My first time out in 12 months now, yeah. And what does it mean now to meet Ross again? Oh, I did love to meet him. Uh, he said, after all, I wouldn't be able to. And how are you doing today, Tom? Good, good. I have the old cancer, but I've been treated for it at the moment. Like. But otherwise, in good form now, I feel great. I'll send back it over again and get it out and about now a bit. And learning CPR, would you encourage people who have Of course the I would. It's a gift to have that sort of knowledge, you know. And uh, like only for Rafael, I could I'd be dead by now. He gave me the gift of life. Very grateful. And Jerry, I suppose to people who want to learn CPR, what would you say to them? It's a very easy skill to learn. Often it's free. And if people would like to email us at cfr at hse.ie, we can direct them to their nearest um, training. You're holding, a, is this a bravery medal, Jay? Yeah, this is a, a newly commissioned bravery medal um, that we are going to be presenting to, um, I suppose, youths, basically. It's more, they're aimed at youths who stand up and be counted and actually contribute to saving a life. So um, Ross is the first recipient of one of these medals in the entire country. Nice to have it happening in Cork. Um, and it's just inscribed with... Um, courage and bravery and it does take courage and bravery to step out from behind the bar and actually start doing CPR on somebody it's not an easy thing to do when you're not trained and he did everything perfectly on the day and you know Tom is here today so thanks to Ross for that that's fantastic. It's such a good news uh, story and we were so glad that we were able to cover it at uh, this time last year. So we really wanted to do the follow on uh, with young Ross picking up his bravery award. And this is a new bravery award, as you heard there. And he's the first in the country to receive it. So once again, congratulations to Ross Hennessy and well done to you. And we wish continued good health to Tom McNamara, whose life was saved in early February last year. And thank you also to Gerardy for speaking with our news reporter, Mairead uh, Tuig. 0818103103 Time to turn our attention to the garden Have you a gardening question? John Paul's taking calls You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. And a beautiful sunny Wednesday it's afternoon, great, Patricia. How are it? you? It really is. I'm very well, thank you. It's great and it's great to see life springing up again in the garden. It's, it really is. I love this time of year. It's just, it's, uh, you've got so much hope that we're going to get a good summer as well. Okay, and lots know, of people. And there's a lot, there's a lot can be done in the garden at this time of year. 
There is. It's kind of the real time for work you do now really pays off in terms of your planting and things of like that. And I, I, I agree with you. Like, And I think I say probably say this every year, but I really do think there's a switch that goes off in each one of us. Like, I think we're that connected to the, the outside world that we want to get back out now. I think the same switch drives us in for the winter, if you like. But mm. I think we really want to get back out into the garden right now. OK, uh, I'm going to put two questions together here. Uh, one is from Elizabeth and one is from Roger. Elizabeth says, what can I put on tarmacadam for moss, please? And uh, Ted has a problem with a patio. I sorry, Roger has a problem with the pa- his patio has been made very slippy over the winter because of moss. Now, he is planning on power hosing it this week. Uh, it, it's like a greeny, slimy moss. He said, what can he put on it to prevent it once he's it all powered hosed off? I don't know if they're both similar questions or not. Yeah, well, no, they are. And I suppose the best thing to do in answer to the first question is power hose it, actually. That's probably the best thing to do on tarmac is to power hose it. Just be careful if there's any loose bits of tarmac that the hose isn't too severe. Um, so did, and, and and with the question where he's removing it with the power hose and what to put it on to keep it off, you see, it, again, pardon the pun, but it's a perennial problem in this in this country, moss, because we live in a warm, damp climate. Um, and moss, of course, loves those conditions. So you'll never you'll never keep it off long term but moscow which is now moscow is an old established label if you like but moscow do a probiotic product which is a, an environmentally sound product it doesn't kill any moss or algae as such but it does work when when it's clean it does stop the re-emergence of moss it'll keep it i think it'll keep it clean for the guts of one full season really i have used it before and it is a good product so that's not the normal moscow but moscow probiotic Okay, that that is worth putting on when it's clean. Now, in terms of the tarmac, ideally, as I say, power hose it or, or get it off that way. The, the, there are then there are some organic products out there which are very effective. But I I know I've used them, but I I can't swear that I have the name right. The Algon, I'm fairly sure Algon is uh, an Irish one, and that is environmentally sound and organic. And if I'm right, so in other words, if you go and look, and if that is the one, I have used it, and it is very very effective. Now, you will then have to kind of brush or clean the moss when it's dead, but it comes off much, much easier when it's dead. And Roger is right. A patio can get very slippy. Oh, from from a safety point of view, you do have to be very careful. It's not moss, of course, it's causing the slipping. It's it's a, it's a different, we, we kind of class them all under the same umbrella, but it's an algae that, that's slippery when wet. But yeah, I mean, they can be lethal. So mm. You do have to, to pay attention to it. Someone is saying moss on tarmac, throw washing powder on it, it kills the moss. Mightn't be good for the garden. Yeah. Though. You see, this is it. I'm not sure how I've heard this said a lot and I, I've seen YouTube videos showing it. But the only reason I don't suggest it as an answer is because I'm not sure how environmentally sound it is. I don't know how damaging and washing powders are. They might be fine. I'm not saying they're not. I just don't know. Um, but I would. my gut would tell me that they can't be that that, that good for, for local wildlife. I know salt, which we use for de-icing works as well. But again, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily rushing to suggest it is because the solution of salt with, with the water will rush off, will run off somewhere it may, and it may end up damaging plants. Yeah, and should we, the listener last week whose overzealous husband was out uh, de-icing the driveway and burnt all the, the grass on the side? That's right. And he exactly he was de-icing the driveway. And, and because it was very salty, you need to be careful where you're putting the salt, that if it is going to flow into the lawn or into your flower beds, it's not going to be selective. It's going to kill anything that it comes in contact with. OK. Hi, uh, Peter. I cut down two palm trees. I'm just wondering what I can put on the stumps to prevent regrowth. Well, if they're, you see, palm tree, the term palm trees kind of covers a multitude, if you like. So for some people, and I'm guessing that that's what's meant in this case, it refers to conifers, like your your palm Sunday conifers, uh, like Leyland palms or something like that. 
but also we use palm, t- palm trees to describe, you know, the, the exotic palms, if you like, Trish, like your cordelines and trachycarpus and those very spiky-leafed plants. Um, I'm going to presume in this instance that it's the conifers that we're talking about, in which case there's nothing you need to put on them. Once you've cut them down like that, they're not going to regenerate. The, 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 they'll die off. Um, and don't be in a mad rush to put any chemicals onto the stumps because nothing is going to work. They don't need to be killed. They're, they're, they're dead or they're dying. Um, and they're not. nothing is going to magically cause them to decompose overnight so you'll be wasting your money and probably damaging your local environment by putting a a chemical on it to try and do that just let them die off naturally you could get a tree surgeon in with a stump grinder uh now there's an expense with that but it does mean that instead of having the stumps you're you're back to soil uh, or perhaps uh, depending on where they are maybe maybe a digger or a mini digger might get them out might might be practical i don't know obviously where they are Mm. but i wouldn't be in a rush to put any chemical on it that's it's not necessary okay michelle has sent in a photograph but i have i haven't been able to send it on to you because you're on the same phone line at the moment but i can describe Mm. it to you could you show peter this picture please it's a camellia shrub but it's covered badly in black mould like stuff and she sent in a picture of the leaves have exactly what she's described it's a black mould well, with, without seeing the photograph, I can tell you exactly what it is. And I know we're going to get this call a lot over the next month or two because it's the time of year for it. It's a, it's a very aptly or very descriptively termed sooty mould. So it looks, to all intents and purposes, like the, the, the camellia is, is covered in a bag of soot, if you like. It also happens to hollies, maybe bay leaf, some laurel plants, things like that. And what it is, is a, there's a, it's a scale insect which overwinters in the plant and it, it, it as it's, it's hatching, it's lar- or as it's laying its eggs, if you like, it, it secretes this honeydew substance, uh, which is very sticky, and that sticks to the leaves. And what happens then is um, the, the black fungal spores of this mold end up, they're in the wind, and they end up sticking on this, this secretion, uh, and it, you end up with the, it colonizes, and it ends up resulting in the, the plant looks like it's covered in soot. So you need a two-pronged approach. You need to remove the scale insect, um, and I'm fairly sure one of the grazers products, which is the the, the, the environmentally sound ones, which are, are just based on calcium. Uh, I'm fairly sure there's one of them that works for scale insect. If not, there is, you could look for something like, um, oh, I think it's pyrethrum, which is, uh, again, to the best of my knowledge, an organic insecticide. Still quite harmful, even though it's organic, but be careful. Use it under under caution, if you like. But that will take care of the scale insect. Um, and then if you, you drench the plant then to take care of the black fungus, uh, with something like copper sulfate mixed with water. Um, now, that will solve your problem. However, you will still be left with the black leaves that are already there. They won't magically clean themselves. But once you've treated the scale insect and once you've treated the fungal infection, it, it'll wash off in time, but in time could be 6 or 12 months. But it will wash off. But if you wanted to, you could just go out with some sudsy water and wash it off at that stage. OK, question for Peter, please. What would he put into a holly box hedge planted around a bio unit to disguise the area? The hedge makes a wall around the unit cover. I'm looking for something with a bit of height. Does that make sense? Oh, I kind of think what they mean is they've put 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 a hedge like in a square or rectangle kind of around it. Uh, and what to plant in that square. It's kind of impossible to answer that really over the ra- on the radio, Trish, without seeing the garden itself and without seeing the whole thing. But you could, if I'm right, and if it's just a square that you want to plant, you could just look at putting in maybe uh, filling it with something like lavender, which would give a small bit of height and it would certainly have a nicer smell and um, uh, it, it would look quite classic. But the, the, the reason I'm slow to answer is without looking at the rest of your garden is sometimes if you're trying to obscure something, as in this case, 
you can actually draw more attention to the fact that you're trying to obscure it. If, like, for example, if there was nothing else in the garden, just a wide patch of lawn, and then this square of a hedge with lavender behind it, it would kind of look like that's a bit odd, isn't it? You know, yeah. so you need to look at the garden as a whole to, to kind of get it right, you know. Um, but you could try planting just a, a blast of lavender in there, or even if you wanted, if, if this wouldn't be too high, just a, a blast of hydrangeas or something like that in there to give you a good bit of height. Um, but as I say, it's hard to say without seeing the whole garden. Okay, uh, Shane says, uh, hi, I've just moved into a new build. What's the best plan of action for the grass out the back? Seeds were put down for us, but it's very patchy and it looks a little bit like a bog. Anything we can do to get that porky creeve style grass? <laughs> well, the, he says the, he's the, ever the parky, hopeful. <laughs> no, he is. The parky keef style grass doesn't um, doesn't happen overnight or without a small degree of work. I'm afraid. Um, what you could do, see, again, I don't know the grass, I don't know the lawn, but if it's a new house and a new build, very often that you have the problem of soil compaction in the garden, which is where, you know, your JCBs and diggers and everything have been driving up and down the site. So you can imagine the soil underneath gets very compacted and that leads to a pan underneath the soil and very, very poor drainage, obviously enough, because the, the, the structure of the soil has been decimated, um, which leads to, to bogging and flooding. So you can kind of counteract that to a degree um, by, 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 but it means starting again, it means, you know, lifting that soil and digging it and working in good organic matter into the soil. So like homemade compost, any organic matter, farmyard manure, anything like that. Now, you don't need something that rich, obviously, for grass, but I'm talking just to improve the structure of the soil. You could do that um, or, and mixing in grit, of course, to keep it good and open. If you don't want to go to that amount of work, um, I suspect with the patchiness, you could just go over. There are products on the market that have a, a seed and feed in them so that you're, you're kind of overseeding. And now before you do that, you just have to give it a good rake to, to break the soil surface to create a tilt for the seed. And then go over it with one of these products which have the seed and feed in it or even just seed on its own during March uh, and that will green it up. But if the underlying problem remains, in other words, if it is compacted soil and it is prone to, to getting boggy or flooding, it's it's never going to be anywhere near Parky Keeve style, <laughs> I'm afraid. So you might have to bite the bullet at one point at some point. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with it. And uh hi uh Peter, is it okay to set dahlias now? A bit early, I would say, to yet. Uh, dahlias and that, you could start them off in pots. I would always suggest starting them off in pots, pots filled with compost. But I'd say you're about a month too early. It's still a bit too cold. Uh, if you have a glass house, you could. Um, but I don't really do mine until kind of middle of March onwards. OK, what, what would Peter suggest for a section of the lawn that has a lot of moss on it? There's no sun getting into this area because the next door neighbours put in a rather large hedge. So it's obviously <laughs> sh- sh- we don't want to fall out with the neighbours either. OK, shaded area. Obviously. Yeah. Um, your best bet is to get out with a scarifier there, in fact. Uh, and unfortunately, like I said at the start there, when we were talking about moss and hard surfaces, it is going to be a problem. It's it's, it's shaded, uh, it's warm and it's damp, this climate. So moss is going to constantly be a problem. And the best the best cure for moss, if you like, is healthy grass. It's not it's not keeping putting on more chemicals. It's a good, healthy grass area. So if you scarify it now, which is like a mechanical rake, which will kind of physically remove a lot of the moss and thatch, which thatches a buildup of kind of dead and dying tissue at the soil level which creates the ideal conditions for moss so if you can remove a lot of that thatch and the existing moss by scarifying it and then maybe treat it with something like your lawn gold or any of these alkaline um, lawn treatment products because that makes the soil alkaline or limey which moss doesn't like and moss can't tolerate so that would be the best thing and if you can keep 
you see the, the grass of course will grow in alkaline conditions so by creating the right conditions for grass to grow you're preventing moss getting a hold on it so in the first instance scarify it and remove it and then treat it with with as i say something like the lawn gold or any of those alkaline based lawn, lawn or alkaline uh, affecting um lawn products okay and thank you to jackie who's just sent in a gorgeous photograph with the caption happy tuesday obviously it's in her garden and it's a burst of color it's they look like little crocuses uh, it is crocuses and she said it's from my late dad's garden it's truly spring when these pop up every year and there's little primroses around them it's just beautiful, it's beautiful. and to, and to have come from your late dad's garden it's just a reminder every year of jackie's dad that really is lovely thank you for that jackie peter thank you have you a busy week uh, yeah, pretty busy now, as you say, springtime. So it's pretty busy. We're in the middle of getting seed potatoes. So anybody who's ordered seed potatoes off us during the winter, we're, we're in the middle of packing them and dispatching them as we speak. So they'll be on the way over the next couple of weeks. And uh, as you know, I started doing uh, garden consultations, Trish, online through 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 um, Zoom. Uh, so we're pretty busy with that now as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So and people can, ac- time of the year. people can access that through the irishgardener.com or on Facebook. They can, of course. Okay. Listen, yeah, good luck with that. And we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Thanks a million. Bye bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. Thanks to John Paul for producing. Nick Riches is with you for the afternoon. And we're back with you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.